Um, so uh, something that we've been talking about around here for a little while is this service. Although we're kind of wide open this morning, we know that this has been getting um, fuller and fuller, and it's getting more challenging to find a seat sometimes. So, <clears throat> um, so and, and there's some statistics that say that when a, when a, um, when a church gets to about 60% capacity, that uh, it makes, starts making people feel uncomfortable. When you step in and you have to find a place to sit, then you have to sit down right next to somebody that makes people uncomfortable. Um, when it gets to 80% full, people will stop coming to church unless there's an excitement list or some things happening. We think that's uh, part of what's going on here with this. But <clears throat> we have been really trying to figure out a way uh, to, to um, help or encourage some of you to go to first service because it's wide open. And, um, <clears throat> and so we were talking about it this last week, and we were talking about our staff meeting and our board meeting. And uh, we don't believe in, like, trying to coerce people or manipulate or anything like that. We just want to say, hey, first service is uh, wide open. You're welcome to go do that. Um, it starts at 8.30, by the way, in case you didn't know. Um, on a completely separate note, <clears throat> we're going to start giving away free specialty coffee drinks before first service. <clears throat> And only before first service. Once first service starts, you pay for coffee in the cafe. So, so that was that. And we're going to do that for the month of February, okay? Starting, what is it, week after next? So the whole month of February before first service. That, but because right now, before first service, the coffee team doesn't get here. They don't get here until um, during first service. So they do drinks between service and after this service. But... Um, but from, for the month of February, free, just whatever drink you want, free coffee, drinks, uh, before first service. <clears throat> and um, th this is the thing with, there are people in the coffee shop that have to be here for that. But that's not my concern. <laughs> right? Hey, I'll give you a little, I'll give you something that, that's happening right now that I'm not going to say any more than this, but, you know, we have, um, we have parking spaces out there. We have three guest parking spaces, and we have an expecting mother parking space out there. <clears throat> you might just want to check who's parked in the expecting mother parking this morning. That's all I'm going to say. So... <clears throat> Um, something that, that uh, I did come across this this week, and uh, this, was, this was really concerning to me. In fact, the kind of the head of the article, the, the uh, title, uh, was a little deceiving, and it kept, but something caught my attention. So I read down through the article, and it was, it, was, um, it was very, very concerning to the point of being frightening, that this is not, this is not, you know, I know every now and then, because, I, because I, when I'm speaking, it's online, these kind of things. Um, I get responses sometimes, right? I don't usually pay attention to them, but, but if they put it online, somebody will come say, Pastor, did you see what somebody said? And I want to say, I didn't because I don't look at that for a reason, but please tell me what they said. But uh, here's the thing is sometimes I get this, that I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist about a bunch of stuff like that. And, and uh, you might want to put this in that category, but I don't think so. This one, this one really caught me. This week, it was officially set up. This isn't something that is being suggested, maybe hopefully in the future. This has already been set up. Um, the Biden administration set up a religious exemption database. Now, this is, this is huge, guys. I, for the last oh, couple months, maybe not quite that long, but I've been, I've been looking at a bunch of uh, uh, documentaries and videos and reading a bunch of stuff of... Uh, as we progressed, the world progressed toward, toward World War II, and specifically in Germany, what did the church look like and what did the church leadership look like and things like that coming into World War II, and all the stuff that's involved with that and the, um, and the uh, control and all the, the different things. That, that, do, do you realize that even two years before uh, Hitler invaded Poland, they were already saying it was illegal for Jews to hold positions of leadership in the country? 
and, and many of them were being run out of their businesses. And, and they did this thing where the, the Hitler youth, they would send the Hitler youth out to all these uh, cities all through Germany. And there was one specific day, in fact, you can look this up, there was one specific day where they sent all the Hitler youth out and they would, they would uh, ransack the city and, and uh, riot, break into stores, steal stuff out of stores, and attack Jews. That, that, that seems familiar. Let me think. What's going on right now in our country? It's crazy and bizarre. And now he built a religious exemption database. This is, I just, I just copied and pasted, okay? This is straight out of the article. The Pretrial Services Agency, that's what it's called, Pretrial Service, Services Agency for the District of Columbia announced earlier this week the creation of the Employee Religious Exemption Request Information System which the agency says aims to maintain, and this is the quote from the website of that place, that they may, uh, aim to maintain personal religious information collected in response to religious accommodation requests, um, and then farther down, in the context of a public health emergency or similar health and safety incident. So the government is collecting your religious information in case there is ever a health crisis or an emergency, that they would need that information. Now, here's the question I would ask. Name one emergency in the country that could ever possibly happen that they need your religious information. That's called communism. That's called Marxism. Guys, you may think this is conspiracy theory stuff, but this is exactly how this happens and has happened in other countries in our history. And this is crazy that they are now documenting whether or not what your religious beliefs are for the, for the sake of an emergency. This, this is very scary. These are the kind of things that, that we should be fighting against and praying against. Because this is, this is, these are game changers. Now, here's the other side of that same thing. I don't believe this just happened. I don't believe like somebody woke up one day and said, you know what we need? A religious database. We've been heading this direction for a long time. They're just bold enough now to actually do this and print this. This stuff's been happening. So after that pep talk, I'm going to be speaking about <clears throat> pride this morning. <clears throat> this is part of this filter's Series. And by the way, next week is even going to be a little more challenging. This one's not going to be easy this week, right? But um, next week is going to be even more difficult. But in asking this question I've been asking the last few weeks, what makes me me? Why, why do I think the way I do? Why do I do the stuff that I do? This is just layer after layer after layer of who we are, um, good and bad, that just layers in, layers in, and layers in. And um, then that's the, that's the filters through which we disseminate information. When we see something, hear something, um, interact in, in, with people, cir circumstance, situations, all of the stuff that, that um, makes up our existence is how that information gets to us, all right? Now, that, again, that's not, it's not like inherently bad or, or um, automatically good or whatever. It's just, it's just what it is, just a bunch of information. Some of the things in, in our past can be very tragic things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the way that that information gets through that to us becomes bad for us. I mean, a negative for us. I, I've counseled many different people over the years that have had horrible, tragic situations in their past, abuses, um, sexual abuse, all kinds of stuff. And they are a very healthy, spiritually healthy individual um, using those things to minister to other people. And I've seen people go through uh, things like that, that their whole life is now um, handicapped because they can't, they can't move past it. I've even seen people, and I know this may not make sense to some of you, but this is reality. I've seen people that do not want to let go of it because it has now become a definitive thing for them. It defines them, and this is now who they are, and they don't know who they could be without this. They, they don't think they would get the... Um, the uh, attention or the, the stuff, and then you say, oh, that's, that's horrible that you would say that. Because I've seen that. I've seen it many times over the years. And, it be, and, it, and, it, and we want it define, to define us. The, 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 the filters are just that. They're just filters. We determine, as this information is coming through to us, we determine what we do with that information. And I'm talking about the information of life. right? Who are we? How does this, how, how does this 
um, affect you know today, tomorrow, the next few years, whatever. So the, the last couple, the last few weeks, I've been talking about this. Really, something that God has put in my spirit for us this year. Three basic things. The first one is that I, I really believe that Jesus is going to set us and. And, and I don't necessarily think that this is a uh, corporate thing first. In fact, I, it, it can't be a corporate thing. It has to be individualistic. And as, as we throughout this body individually uh, see this happen, then we as a body together become this. But I, but I believe that God wants to really bring health and wholeness to us. And I, and I think that can include physical. It does include, it does include physical because we believe in divine healing. We believe that God can show us those, you know, how to live a better life and those kind of things. Um, I, I, this sounds like a strange thing, but I actually talk to people and pray for people that, that um, people would exercise. So does that matter? It matters a lot. You realize that just exercising, exercising is the biggest thing you can do in your life to push back depression? Because it releases chemicals into your body that fight depression. Dopamine's a big one. Just exercising. Plus, you're just doing something, right? So I think there's a, a physical aspect to this, but I, I think really the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into mental, spiritual, emotional health and wholeness this year. We've got to push away from the, the confusion and the fear and the hate and all the stuff that Satan has been trying to sow through our country for the last few years. Just, just push away from it and say, that's not me. I don't have to be. You can let everybody else do that, but it's not going to be me. I think of uh, Psalms 91 where it says, a thousand will fall at thy side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come to you. Well, there's a God provision there, but I also think there is a um, choice that we can make in a lot of these things. I don't have to listen to all the stuff and let it uh, define me. So the second thing is that um, Jesus is going to empower you for, to, to, with the Holy Spirit for lots of reasons. Um, I really break this down a lot when I'm doing the, the journey, my house, but the, there's four basic things that the Holy Spirit does, empowers us for. I'm not going to go into those, but the Holy Spirit really wants to empower you. Uh, you. You Think about this. We need this right now more than we ever have. This has always been my argument against parts of the church that say, well, this stuff isn't for today. You know, empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's not for today, or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's not for today. I'm like, why? Why? Why would it not be for today? It was for the people in the New Testament. We're like them. Why would it not be for today? And the way we're going in our country right now, it definitely need an empowerment of the Holy Spirit right now. You need discernment. You need understanding. You need compassion. You need boldness. You know, all the things that is being, is being squished uh, in, our, in our Christian walk right now. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing is that I really believe Jesus is going to use you to Minister in ways that are extremely just kind of outside your box, new ways, things that you're going to do. By the end of this year, you're going to say, you know, I never witnessed to somebody before, but I witnessed to this person this year, or I prayed for this person, and God just healed them or, or set them free from something. Or I, I, just, I just know the Holy Spirit wants to do that with all of us, and I really am praying and praying and praying about this. I really think that, that God has put this in my spirit, that he's going to do some of this stuff in our lives in ways that we never really thought possible. But here's the thing. Satan doesn't want it to happen. Satan does not want you to be used by God. Um, that's, that's, he wants you just to get just enough Jesus, just enough of, of the word, just enough Christianity to kind of build up immunity for the real stuff the Lord's wanting to do. And he wants you just enough to where you're like, you know, I am so good. Thank you. And the Holy Spirit's going, you didn't, you didn't, even, you didn't even scratch the surface yet. There's so much I want to do with you. And we think, nah, you know, I'm good. Because we, we feel okay about everything. We, you, that God, God wants to do some stuff with you, but Satan wants to stop it. According to C.S. Lewis, the number one way that Satan hinders our walk with the Lord and hinders society in a general sense is through pride. Right? He talks about that in mere Christianity. So to look at this this morning, this, this concept of pride. You know, in... Um, <clears throat> In, in, in asking the question I've been asking the last couple of weeks, why do we do what we do? Not what do we do, but why? Pride is the why, is part of the why answer. Okay? It's not the stuff. In fact, if you went to Galatians chapter 5, and if you go to Galatians 5.22, that's the, the, uh, um, the fruit of the Spirit. The few verses before that is like this sin list. It's like the, the, the fruit of Satan, right? The fruit of sin. It's this sinless. If you read down through that list, 
things like uh, adultery and lying and, and uh, gossip and stuff like that. When you read down through that list, those are, now, now follow this with me because we don't process this very well. Those are what things? They're not why things. That list is stuff that we do. Those are the what. What are you doing? Well, I lied. Well, that's a what. It's not a why. The question is, why do I lie? Not do I lie, but why? If you don't get to the why, you you never really get a handle on the what. And you're going to struggle with that off and on through your whole life. You're going to struggle with that issue because you didn't get to the why of it. Why do I gossip? Why does that make me um, feel good? Or why does that do something? Not do you gossip, but why? When you can get to those kind of things, that, that, that begins to unearth the foundation of some of this. And pride is, is one of the biggest whys in Scripture. Why we do what we do. Why we think the way we think. It's not the what, it's the why. And so in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now that's a a very strong packed sentence there, that God opposes the proud. You you realize that usually when those kind of things happen, when those kind of sentences are said, it talks, usually God talks more about the issue of the sin rather than the person. The person is caught up in this issue, whatever. But he's, he directly says this about the person. This is the person that he's talking about. God opposes the proud. That's a big one because our pride, our pride will affect us more than almost anything else that we do. And here's the thing about pride is it's all internal. There's nothing external about pride. Now, how it plays out is external, but there's not, it's not connected to something else, right? In, in other words... Um, um, adultery. Adultery involves external as well as internal, right? I don't need to explain that, right? So that's a external and internal. Pride is completely internal, but it affects every single thing in our life. It affects our family. It affects friends. It affects our self, our psyche. It affects um, our spiritual walk. It affects, uh, 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 affects our emotions, everything. I, I, it's amazing how easily we can hang people out to dry because of pride. How easy we can even hang our own family, children, out to dry because of pride. It, it's, it's such a strong thing. In fact, my, my oldest son, he asked me oh, a week and a half ago, he said, so what are you preaching? And I told him the next few weeks, and I said, I'm preaching about pride. And he said, you know, the thing about pride is he said it is so quick to consume you and then becomes all controlling, it seems like, in your existence. And I thought, that's that's a very good description of how that happens to us. Con- controls us so much in this. So go with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world... Now, now let, me, let me pause here, because I think this is interesting, that when it says, don't love the world or the things it offers you, you know, there's things about the world that you can love. So... So what does he mean? He's, it can't mean loving something in the world is a bad thing. Loving the mountains. I, I love to see the mountains. I love to be in the mountains. Well, that's, that's not a, a, a harmful thing. But then he says, don't love the things the world offers you. And this is something I've found over the years. You realize that the world will not offer you the same things it will offer me? We just, we're not... We don't see things the same way. We don't process stuff the same way. What's exciting or enticing to you is not exciting and enticing to me. This week I went to, a, the day before yesterday, whenever it was the, the slipperiest, um, <clears throat> I went Saturday morning, I think it was. I got up and I went to a coffee shop and I'm, you know, I'm drifting the whole way up there. And it's not easy when you have a four-wheel drive Jeep with very aggressive tires. You got to put it in two-wheel drive. You got to take your traction control off. You got to be very intentional about drifting, right? And uh, and I'm doing that, having a good time, I'm sliding around corners and doing all this kind of stuff. And I, I I slide around the corner and pull up to the coffee shop and order my coffee. And I go up there and it's like a 16, 17 year old girl sitting there. And and we're waiting on the coffee, so she's just talking, right? How's your day? It's good. She said, "Do you like your Jeep? Love my Jeep." She said, yeah, my mom bought me a Jeep something or another, and she named a thing that's, I don't think it's really a Jeep, but that's not here or there. But 
she said, yeah, because it's got four-wheel drive, and, um, and she wants me to be safe and all that stuff. I said, I know, that's the problem I've been having all morning, is I had to, to put it in two-wheel drive. I had to take the traction control off so, so I could drift, and I've been drifting all, all morning. And she said, why? And I thought, well, because if you don't put it in two-wheel drive, you, you're awful. That's not what she was asking. She was asking, why do you want, why is, do you want to drift? So I explained the whole thing, because if you don't put it in, and she said, so you want to slide around corners? Yeah. I don't understand. What's your problem? What's your breakdown here? I don't get it. She said, my mom bought me a Jeep so I would be safe. And I said, well, your mom's doing a good thing, and I appreciate that. You shouldn't drift anywhere, but I really like to. And my wife doesn't either, because when I'm coming down the road, so turn right onto my street, my house is the third one down. I like to hit it just the right angle where I, I floor it as I go around the corner, and I, and I slide sideways all the way down to my house, and then it's pulling my driveway. And I've worked at that. I price it's an art. I can do it. And every single time Linda's in the car with me, she's like, why are you doing this? And as I'm drifting, I'm like, what? Because it's cool. Life offers you different things than it offers me. Right? I was sitting in a restaurant the other day, and I heard this lady just bragging on this all-vegetable burger. The meat, that's the problem with this conversation. She used the word meat. She said, the meat is all vegetable. I'm like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and she was all excited. I mean, like, she, I, I can't wait till you. I'm like, I would... Okay, so you realize the world offers you different things than it offers me. And that's the coolness of who we are as people. That's the coolness of the, the, the context of God made us all unique, amazingly, wonderfully made us, crafted us, but he didn't make us the same. And, and, and there should be not an expectation of that, right? But here's the thing is when the world starts trying to offer you things, you understand that, that, that the Satan behind that is trying to hurt you. He's not trying to help you. God made the world to offer us some wonderful things. That is not what he's talking about right here. God, God gave us the opportunity to, to know things and to experience stuff, to see things and all this. But look at what he says here. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You can't love both. And he's talking more about the system, the, the idea that the world is trying to offer you? What is the world trying to entice you with? With what goal? To pull you away from God. And here's the thing is, the stuff that, that God creates, you, you, you know Satan is not a creator. Satan is only a perverter. He cannot create something. He can only take what God created and break it and twist it and mess it up and, and make it horrible in the process. Look at what he says. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. That's the first one. Now think about this. Craving for physical pleasure. That physical pleasure is not bad within itself. I could go over a lot of things right now that are, are big physical pleasures. God made some really big ones for us. But he says here that that the world is offering you a craving for this. See, there's a difference between enjoying what God has given us in the category of physical pleasure and craving it for the sake of it. That's a total different mindset. And that's where Satan will try to twist something and pervert it. That's why something like sexuality has become such a messed up thing in our society. That nowadays, you have sex long before you get married. In fact, you should have sex regularly to decide whether you should get married or not. That's a perversion that Satan has used that is hurting, hurting, breaking marriages. And you think, well, yeah, but I, I'm going to end up marrying this person. I have said this for decades now. You have sex outside of marriage, and it's going to hurt your marriage, even if it's with the person you end up being married to, because you are breaking God's laws, you are twisting what God designed for us in a powerful way, and there are consequences to sin, and it's going to mess with you. You try to explain that to an 18-year-old, and it just, it's just gone. 
doesn't even exist in today's society. I'm telling you, it is destructive. But that's where Satan says, okay, I can get you to crave something that is a physical pleasure. Because that's what the world provides, is get you, uh, in an unhealthy way, hooked on something, controlled by something. It says craving for physical pleasure. The second one, craving for everything we see. That, that, there's a lot of beautiful things that God has designed for us to see. But Satan can take that and twist it and make it something horrible where we begin to crave the seeing of it rather than the fact that this is a gift that God has given us. And we start chasing after the seeing of it. That's the whole concept of pornography. That God has designed something that is beautiful and wonderful for the context of two people. I'll give you one little side note that maybe you've never thought about that, that, that is an argument against pornography. If the only physical body you've ever seen is that of your spouse, I'm saying like naked, is that of your spouse, you've got nothing to relate it to. That's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You have no idea this is not what some people look like. Because... You know, you laugh at the strangest times. <laughs> you, have no, you, have no, you have no idea what somebody else looks like. And you're not supposed to, by the way. You're not supposed to. <clears throat> I remember seeing an old, just, just a few weeks ago, I was watching an old Western. And the lady, this is black and white. And the lady was getting down out of a carriage. And when she did, her, her dress rose up above her ankle. And like five or six men went... And they're looking at her ankle. And I was like, that's right. Only your husband should see that ankle. <laughs> and he doesn't know the difference between ankles or cankles. Okay, so. <laughs> Where was I? So a craving for everything we see. God, God has a... God has a, a way that he has designed us and a way that he's designed us to live in this world. And when we go outside that, it messes us up on so many different levels. And here's the biggest one for this morning. And pride in our achievements and possessions, that the world is offering you a pride in the things that you do and have done, that you have. You say, well, what's wrong with being proud? Like, I'm proud of my children. Um, there's a difference between being proud of something because it's something that Jesus did and is and proud of something because of something you did or you think you did and that you are. Something that you have. And you say, well, I, and, and my, so my, my disclaimer here is I believe very strongly in what we call or what we used to call, it's, it's quickly disappearing in front of our eyes, the American dream. I believe strongly that you can work hard, um, spend a lot of time and energy, do things, put yourself to the task, all this kind of stuff, and you can be very successful in America. I believe that you can, you can um, have wealth. You can be comfortable in your life. There's, but, it, but it does take some stuff. It takes, sometimes it takes the, you know, the right moment and timing and knowing the right people and all that, but really it can't always be all of that because some people, against all odds, do amazing things in our country, and that's always been what our country's built upon. I believe that strongly, but I also know you got to be careful with that thinking because at the end of the day, even your ability to do something has come from God. Your ability to think is a God gift. The fact that you are in America and not in a different country, that's a gift of God. You could just go down the list of stuff. You don't have the same opportunities in most of the rest of the countries around the world. You just don't. People talk about how the caste system in India, you know, was done away with like 20 years ago. I've been there. It still exists. It's so ingrained in their existence. You, 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 you take for granted sometimes the fact that you had the physical ability, their mental acumen or something, or let's just break it all the way down to the core. You breathe air God gave us to breathe. Don't take that for granted. So anything that you've accomplished, I believe is a God thing. Also, in fact, I think it's primarily a God thing. He just gives you the opportunities to the point where I also don't like faux humility. I believe that, that uh, when God has given you certain gifts and talents and abilities, there's nothing wrong with, with acknowledging that. 
right? We do it, but in today's society, we're only allowed to do it in certain arenas. Like if God gives you the ability to be, like, like the worship team this morning, we've got good musicians, good singers, and that kind of stuff. You, you should celebrate that um, and not act like, well, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. That, this stuff drives me crazy. Can you, can you play an instrument? You worked at it? Then look at what God does with me. Look at what this is. I can do this, and I'm good at it. There's, that's, not, that's not lack of humility. When you think it's only because of you, there's the problem. The only reason you can do that is because God. I, I, just, I just see this in so many different ways. Um, art, people can draw and do things. I can't do that, and it's amazing to me. And here's the reality. I know that's a gift from God. That God gives people ability to do that stuff and to see that stuff. Yeah, you can take art classes and you can learn a little bit, but there's a difference. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between, man, God gave that person that ability. Acknowledge it. Celebrate it. But recognize it's a gift from God. That's, that's what he's talking about, about that, that the world tries to get you to have it about pride, your pride and your achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from this world. And this world is fading away. Be careful when you think you all that because the world's fading away and you can't stop it. You can't. This, this is why I'm, I'm 51 now. This is becoming more real to me. At 25, you don't think about the world coming to an end. You don't think about your life coming to you. You're like, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden you start getting older and you realize something simple like keeping hair on your head is a challenge. I took that for granted at 25, right? You know, life changes, and life changes so quickly that, that you, you, you think you're on a freight train, you're going to do whatever, and then all of a sudden you start seeing your own limitations, and you start seeing the limitations of the world. But here's the thing that I hope you see at the same time, is you see the unlimitedness of God. You may be limited, but God's not limited. Who, somebody was just asking me this week, I think it was Bob, Asking about Smith Wigglesworth, and so I, I'm a, I'm a, I've always, Smith Wigglesworth is like one of my top two or three people ever in history, if you take Jesus and, and the apostles off the table, okay? Just, just one of the most amazing men of God that has ever lived. He did not even start what we call his ministry until he was 48. He was a plumber. His wife was the preacher. In fact, his wife got jealous when he started preaching and, and speaking and people were getting healed. And she, she literally told him, Smith, this is my ministry. Why is God using you this way? That's a, I'd like to have just sat there and gone. She asked you a question, Smith. What do you, you know. But the reason I say that is because some of you in here, you just assume, well, you know, as I get older, you know, I'm doing less. and less. I don't believe that. As you get older, do more. Don't do less. Pray more. Witness more. Do more. But how do you do that? You recognize that God is the one that's doing it, not you. Right? Potentially, humility can come with age. But have you ever met somebody that it doesn't? That the older they get, the more into themselves they're getting? Right? He says, as the world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I love how he does that. He's talking about the physical, and then he jumps straight into the, the transcendent to the eternal. Being proud is okay as long as we're being proud in Christ. Proud of what Jesus is doing and, or doing through me. Proud of what Jesus has given me or given to uh, that I can see that he's given. Or just proud of who Jesus is. I... I, I have really changed my thinking a lot in these kind of arenas. 30 years ago, 25 years ago as a pastor, I really thought there, there is a culture in every setting, in every job setting, in every, everything, in the same way in, in church and in pastoring. I got caught up in this 30 years ago, and about, it took me till about, for about 10 years to really start separating myself from this. But the idea of ministry was... Um, having a big church and having people think you're awesome. That's what ministry was. It had always been that. I'd seen it all my life, and that was the thing. Being, being successful according to what the world thinks. And the world does everything by... In fact, when I, when I went from being a youth pastor to a pastor, in a large youth group, and I went to a church of 20 people to pastor, 
And I had people ask me, why are you doing that? Like, that's a step backwards. Why are you doing that? Because I feel like this is what God called me to do. That church grew quite a bit, brought on staff, did all kinds of stuff. Went to the next church. It had about 25 people. And I literally had people calling me up and saying, it's like you're going backwards. What's up? Did, was there a major problem at your last church? Why are you? No. In fact, some of those people, that was 25 years ago, some of those people have actually visited here when we got here because we're closer to them. This was southeastern Colorado. They're still family to us. There was no negative. There was nothing bad. But what the culture was, was, well, this is how you, pro- this is how you progress. This is how you do stuff. I, I, that, that stuff is, and I was caught up in some of that. I was, I was very discouraged in that transition I just mentioned. I, I said this to my wife over and over. She, she doesn't get caught up in this stuff as much as I do. But I told her I was upset. I was upset. Why am I going backwards? Why, why can't I enjoy the blessings of working hard? I'm going backwards. And, and God really worked on me about that. You know where I'm at right now in this? And I had a great conversation with a pastor this week about it. He calls me up and says, I want to talk to you about some stuff. And God's just doing some stuff with him. And he said, you know what? God has changed my thinking in almost every category. And he said, I am tired of the mentality that as a pastor, I'm supposed to put people in seats. He said, I want to put people in the kingdom of God. And I want to see souls saved. And he said, everything else has become nothing to me, except I just want to see souls saved. And I told him, I said, the sad thing about this conversation is the fact that we're having this conversation as an anomaly to what the church world thinks. Because that's, that's the scary part. We should be about lives changed and souls saved. And when you go to work, it should be about glorifying God at work, doing the things that God has called you to do, and being able to pray for people and witness to people in the, in the, in the process of that. that and, and being excited and proud of that. Because why? This is about Jesus, not about me. That's, that's going to be a lifelong challenge for all of us. It's about Jesus and not about me. You're going to constantly have to be deal with that. So, so what is pride in my life? What does it look like? How do, I get, how do I see it? How do I unearth it? Because it's not as, as, as easy as you would think sometimes. Sometimes it's quick, right? There's some topical stuff that we know that's a pride issue, okay? Now, the, 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 real, the real question is what are you going to do about it? It's not just did you recognize it, but what are you going to do about it? But here's something else I've found is pride can actually, is almost, well, it is. It's attached to the core existence of who we are. Sin is often topical kind of stuff that we're making decisions about, but the roots of the why, that's why going back to Galatians 5, the why do we sin in these ways? Why, why is something enticing to you and a temptation to you, but not to me and vice versa? Why? Okay. Um, you know, I've mentioned this before, but this, this is a big one. <clears throat> I, I, I have never struggled with alcohol, and here's the reason why. When I was 11 years old, I was spending the night in front of mine's house, and his dad had this huge liquor cabinet, and we went through and tasted everything in that cabinet. Now, I didn't know what I was doing. This was new to me, and, and we just went and tasted, and it was all hard liquor stuff, like bottles and bottles, and somewhere along the line, at the time, I thought we fell asleep. As I look back now and realize when I wake up under the, half the couch, we had passed out in the process. Now, what happened with that is I, I abhor the taste, the smell, and everything of alcohol. I can't stand it. When I'm sitting in a restaurant and somebody walks by with, like, just beers on the tray and I smell that, ah, it, it gets me, okay? Now, here's something that is interesting you might not think about. I, over the years, as I've learned more about me, I realized that that was a very solid, positive moment, maybe even, and I struggle with even saying this because theologically, maybe even ordained by God. You're like, God did me, I get that, I understand, but what God did with it, definitely orchestrated by God. Because here's the thing, I have a very addictive personality when it comes to things like food and tastes and drinks and things like that. I, I love that. I absolutely love that. You start telling me about something, I watch the food channel and I'm like breaking into a cold sweat. I, and I mean, that's, that's who I am. I, I can't tell you how much, 
Linda, every now and then, Linda will just say, she just did this recently. She just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go make this. What do you think? And I was like, oh, come make out with me first and then go do that. <laughs> no, no, just go do that. <laughs> That's how I'm wired. I am wired that way. So here's the thing. If there was a possibility of a, of a like, for me, alcohol, it would be dangerous. I've been an alcoholic. You understand what I'm saying? There's all kinds of stuff in our life, guys, that we are driven by, and Satan knows what they are. And he's going to try to mess with you with them. Pride is one of these that he's going to do with everybody at some level. You can't get away from this because pride affects us in so many ways. So here's some things. I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to talk about pride, and then we're going to look at some scripture on this. I had somebody after first service come up and tell me, now I said this, write these questions down. We'll get to some questions. I said, write these questions down. After first service, he came up and said, you got to make sure second service writes these questions down. He said, while you were saying this, he said, God showed me why I lost my job two years ago. And he said it was because of pride. That, that, that was a huge confirmation. And he explained it. Huge confirmation. So, Pride, pride is really, pride is all about you. It's not about somebody else, it's about you. It's the way you look at yourself. How do people see you? Am I going to be embarrassed by this? Is this going to be, you know, do people see me as important or whatever? Do people see me as smart? Um, th this is a big one. I, I've seen this many times over the years, our insecurities, where people will struggle with um, something like, do people think I'm pretty? That's a pride issue. It's insecurity is how it flowers out. That's a pride issue. How do I look at me and how do I think other people look at me? All right? Do people think I, I'm smart or stupid? That's a, that's, a, uh, that's a pride issue. It comes out in insecurity, but that's a pride issue. To break those things, we've got to go there. We've got to stop just saying, yeah, I struggle with that and start asking yourself, why do I struggle with that? Why do I struggle with whatever that, that issue or, or, or whatever? How do people see me all this? So here's some questions. When you accomplish something, who immediately comes to your mind? Now, now follow me with this. If, if a person immediately comes to your mind when you've accomplished something that you think is solid or profound or whatever, there's a reason why that person immediately pops into your mind. Okay, there's two basic big ways to approach this. There's tons of layers of it, but let's just look at the two big things. If, the, if when I accomplish something, somebody pops into my mind, there's, there's basically one of two options. One is because I know that they would be excited and celebrate with me. That's a good thing, right? This, this is one of the things I've, I've talked to my wife and kids about many times over the years is I've traveled all over the world. Very little of it has been with my family, Okay? I've traveled all over the world in the Navy, and I've done stuff with missions. Just, I've been all over the world. Okay? I will be somewhere, and the only thing I can think of is I wish my wife and kids were here right now. They need to see. So I'll take pictures, like one, and, and I, and I, but the biggest thing is I just wish they were there. And I hate the idea of going somewhere on some kind of trip or something else that my wife and kids can't be with me because I'm going to experience something that I know that they would love to celebrate with me. That's a positive, okay? But if you accomplish something and somebody pops into your mind, and the reason they pop into your mind is because, well, I would show them. Look how, look how awesome this is. If they could see this, they wouldn't think that about me anymore. I talked with a guy the other day that was... Um, he, what he was doing for a living, uh, he, was, he had taken a class in college, and uh, he was telling me that, that when he took that class, he was just really good at the stuff in the class, and so he didn't have to try real hard. He didn't realize at that time, the reason was because it was in his wheelhouse, he actually switched directions in his life, and that became what he now does for a living, was what that class was about. Okay, Now, with that being said... The, the professor of the class um, b uh, was negative to him through the whole class because he wasn't trying the way the professor thought he should try. And he said to him, you will be a failure. You will never do this 
because you don't care enough to try. Now he's doing it for a living and he's very successful at it. Now you say, well, yeah, that showed. Because you hear stories like that all the time. But here's where I went with the conversation. I told this person, the problem is you're still dealing with it. And you shouldn't be. But this professor, so what? You're still dealing with it. This, that's a pride issue. And he says, well, every time I do something, I want to send an email and say, ah, I mailed this business deal, or I did this, and ha ha, you loser. You know, I'm like, the problem is, what is the way we say it nowadays? He's living rent-free in your head. So who cares what that guy said? Who cares? But pride will not let this guy let it go. The pride is the problem. You've had people in your life tell you, you can't, or you won't, or this, or whatever. So what? So what? Prove them right or wrong, it should never have anything to do with them after that. Pride keeps you attached to them. And unforgiveness, which is next week. When you think of success, first, how do you define success? You should ask some questions why there, too. What I was talking about earlier, the way I defined success as a pastor was defined by so many other people. It wasn't defined by me or Jesus or his word. It was defined by people. This is what people think success is. So what? Who cares? I talked with a military guy a couple of years ago that um, does, he does um, operations kind of stuff, uh, like... like um, like wet ops and those kind of things. And he said he got to the point where he could be promoted to a rank that would take him out of those situations. And he said, I don't want to be promoted out of this. I want to do this. But in his context, being promoted was the term of success. And he said, but I, I, don't, I don't want the promotion. I want to do this. This is what I enjoy doing. This is who I am. Who's defining success for you? And then, once you think you have um, achieved success, or how you define success, does it involve how others think about you, or, does it in, or is it truly just how you think of success, or how God thinks of success, or how the Word thinks of success? This is, this is a big thing in our culture and our society today. We, we are told what success is. And oftentimes, it's not. Today's society, having lots of money is successful. No, not necessarily. Why, why would we define it that way? Is that, is that, but, but see, here's, the, here's part of a perversion of the American dream, is if I make a lot of money, it doesn't matter all the details before it. I could sacrifice friends and family, whatever. As long as I make a lot of money, I'm successful. That's not truth, guys. That's not true. You may, you may, in the process of being successful, make a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with making money. I am, I'm a strong advocate that being wealthy is not a bad thing. But is that the goal? If your goal is make a lot of money, I really question you. I question who you are. There's a whole lot more to life than making a lot of money. I had this conversation years ago. Somebody was talking to me about finances, stuff like that. And I, and I you know, they're, they're talking about this. I'm flat broke because of a decision I made. I made a decision to be a pastor. That's not that lucrative, believe it or not. Now, nowadays, I'm rolling in it. But back in the day, flat broke. I do, I, you know, I take... I take quarters and I'm like, whoop, whoop, whoop. And people are like, ah, you know, it's about, whatever. But here's the thing with that is I made a choice that I knew it was going to limit my, it's not that I don't have the ability to make money. I think I've got some acumen in that way. But I won't ever know totally for sure, right? But I made a choice because for me, making the money is not, is not the big deal, now, if something happens, I win the lottery. Don't get me wrong. I will, I will embrace it. It's going to be a miracle if I win the lottery. 
because I don't gamble because Jesus ain't okay with it. Are you listening? Are you going up to Cripple Creek? Jesus is not happy with you. And if you're saying, really? We'll talk because I got scriptures for you. How do you define success? Relationally, how do you define success? Here's another one. When you think of wealth, is it attached to people? This is, this is a big one that can kind of creep in without us realizing. You know, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses? Sometimes our, our idea of wealth is attached directly to an individual. That's an unhealthy thing. In other words, when you think of being wealthy, if somebody pops in your mind, you're probably trying to prove something to them, not actually make money. That's, that's unhealthy. That's pride. Pride does that. Or just the masses, the faceless masses of what we think wealth should be. You can ask yourself some quick questions. Um, the house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the stuff that's in your house. Are those things because they make you happy or because you want to impress somebody or the Joneses? Are you following me? We, we do this, guys. We do this sometimes. Do, 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 when you buy your car, is it a functional vehicle that you can drive up in the mountains with and over rocks? Or are you trying to impress people? <laughs> My wife and I have discussed this in different ways over time. Okay, maybe I struggle there, but here's the thing. <laughs> we're, we're talking about you, not me. So, so here's the thing. Why do, we, why do we do what we do? Are we trying to impress people? Or, or is this something that we know is a good decision? Or the case? Are we trying to impress people? As the, when, when we think about this, these are pride issues that messes with us. Um, here's a big one. What offends you? And you say, well, we're not supposed to be offended. Scripture says that. We're not supposed to be offended. But here's the thing. Scripture also says we are supposed to be offended by sin. And here's the interesting thing that happens in today's society is we're not offended by sin, but we're offended when our sensibilities are attacked. We're offended when somebody says something to us or does something, but we're not offended by sin. We've got it exactly opposite. So the question is, is when, when something happens or, or somebody says something, something, if it offends you, you should at least pause and say, why is this offending me? Now, the answer that a Christian should have is I'm not going to, because something happens, you react, you feel it, you react or whatever, and somebody could have been out of line, said something, whatever, and you react, but immediately you've got to start saying, okay, God, help me not let this offend me. But here's the question, why is it offending me? Somebody can say something to you and it offends you, but not offend me, and vice versa. Right? My, I, was, I was sitting in the same said coffee shop I was talking about earlier. I go there on Wednesday mornings. I'm working on my message, doing this stuff, and I'm sitting there, and this girl comes out from behind the counter, walks over to me and says, um, Sir, she's very embarrassed. I can tell she's not enjoying any of this. She said, Sir, do you know somebody named Amanda? I'm like, Yes. That's my daughter-in-law's. She only her daughter-in-law, but I knew which one she was talking about because my other one doesn't live here. I said, yes, that's my daughter-in-law. I said, was she just in the drive-thru? Because they just live down the road. My son comes through there sometimes. She said, yes, she was. And I, and I said, did she, did she say, tell me something? She said, yeah. She said, tell you hi. And then she took off and ran back to the, <laughs> to the counter. And I'm sitting there for a second. I'm tapping my computer. I'm like, I don't think that's all she said. <laughs> so I went up to the counter and I, I talked to the girl and I said, did my daughter-in-law tell you to tell me anything else? <sighs> I don't really want to, sir, tell you. I said, she told you to tell me something else, didn't she? Uh-huh. And I said, just tell me. Just tell me. I don't want to. I mean, we're... we're I, and I said, 
I know it was one of two things. Nod if it's one of these two things. I'm old. I'm fat. <laughs> Here's the deal. So, but then I, I couldn't let it go. I did say, I'm so offended. And I walked away. And she's like, sir. I was like, I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah. Here's the thing. You can call me old and fat all day long. I don't care. I don't think I'm really those things. Not totally those things. But here's the thing is we get so offended so quickly by things. There are some things you can say to me that will hurt my feelings. I don't know what that would be. You do? Okay. We'll talk later. Okay. No, we won't. But here's the thing, guys. Why, why do some things so quickly hurt our feelings, so easy to offend us? That's, 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 that's a pride issue. What does it matter? I used to tell my kids all the time. They'd come from school. Somebody called me a poopy head. I'm like, are you a poopy head? No. Then who cares? That's easy said, but not that easy done, right? As adults. Okay? What do you think about position or authority? What's important, what's not important? You know, I found some things out over, over the years of my life. Um, and if you ask the general question, do I have a problem with authority? The answer would be no, I don't have a problem with authority. I don't have a problem doing what authority figures said. I went to, to boot camp. I didn't argue. I, didn't do, I, I was in the military. I never, I never, I never resisted or whatever. Um, but I have found over the years there are certain kinds of authority in certain settings I, I rankle at. The question is not do I, the question is why? Get to the bottom of that stuff. Why? That's the issue. Why? Daniel 4 verse 28. But all these things did happen. This is a dream. God gave King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel told him, and it happened. This is what happened. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residency to display my majestic splendor, to display my intelligence, to display my beauty, to display my power, to display my wealth. Look what I have done. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Years ago, I was having this conversation with a guy about this, and he said, I don't think that story can be true. I was like, why? And he said, because people can't eat grass and live. I'm like, that's your sticking point? That's where you draw the line? Not everything else, but you're like, nope, you can't eat grass. Okay, <clears throat> seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, guys, this is it. Until you learn the most high rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. You don't rule, God rules. Your job is because God gave it to you, not because of you. Well, I worked hard at it. Good. God wanted you to do that so that he could give it to you. But God is the one that's in charge. When we look up, it says when we lift our eyes to the hills, where does our help come from? If your answer is anything but my help comes from the Lord, you've walked away and you are no longer having a spirit of loyalty to him. My help doesn't come from my job, my physical ability, my bank accounts. My help comes from the Lord. And that's it. And he says, the same hour judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society, ate grass like a cow, was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Jump down to verse 37 and this is how it ends. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, don't make him prove it. And by the way, I think God still does this stuff today. 
I think our pride gets us into problems and he will dethrone us from our kingdom and our, our throne. Now, he may not kick you out in a field to eat grass, but I think sometimes, from my personal experience and things I've seen, I think sometimes people would choose out in a field eating grass over what actually happened when they were dethroned. God does not play around with pride. When you get to a point where you say, nope, I'm the one who makes the rules, be careful. Because God, it is more important to God that he humble you and that you serve him so that he can do what he wants in your life than you just be okay with you. He wants to do some stuff. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests the proud. They surely will be punished. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. So what do we do? Why don't you stand with me? What do we do? First thing, repent. First, repent of pride. But I think just a a lifestyle of repentance, coming to God regularly and repenting, is a very good way to attack pride. Because when you're saying, God, I'm a sinner, I need you to forgive me, it's hard for pride to wiggle in there. So repent. The second thing is develop a plan. What do, I, what do I need to do? This is why we ask the why questions. Why do I think this way? Because you're going to try to come up with a plan. I can give you examples in my life over the years where God has specifically revealed something to me and I set a specific plan of praying and getting in Scripture to work on that specific issue. And, and years ago, I didn't know that there were core issues. I'm working on sin issues. And I didn't realize if I'd get down to core issues, a lot of the sin takes care of itself. Core issues. Why? Develop a plan. What do you need to do right now? Develop a plan. Any of these questions, develop a plan. God, help me. Help me to combat this. Recognize it and combat it. And then the third thing is keep this as a spiritual discipline in your existence. Repentance, work through a plan. Repentance, work through a plan. Because pride will always be there and always rear, rear its head. Always. Bow your heads with me. I want to pray for us, but I want to ask you the question first. How many of you say, I've got some pride things going on right now that I know that the Lord is trying to deal with me about, and I want to give them to him. Just raise your hand real quick. Yeah, guys, this is reality. I, I would say really every one of us, but in any given minute, most of us, we're going to be dealing with pride issues. Let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the amazing king. Lord, you are patient. You gave Nebuchadnezzar's king back, kingdom back. Lord, you are patient with us. Lord, I know your, your goal is not to, to beat us into the ground, but your goal is to, to break us so that we can be people of humility and humbleness before you. So Lord, we open our soul to you. God, I open my soul to you hoping that I don't have to go through the breaking. I can just let you do what you want to do. So I submit myself to you. God, have your way. What you want to do. I pray that for every one of us in here. Lord, have your way. God, we're trying to figure stuff out in you. Help us. Help us to to, to, to dig into the issues. Help us, Lord God, and to realize the things that we've got to do. Lord, help me make my decisions based upon you, not upon people, upon the way people look at me. I'm not basing my decision on circumstances, whether this benefits me or doesn't. I'm making my decisions based upon you. Renew a loyal spirit within me, loyal to you. So God, all through this room, there are pride things going on. Holy Spirit, just move into our minds. Move into our spirits and do the stuff that you want to do. Change us. Do the stuff. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you know better than any of us how rewarding but also how difficult this stuff can be. So God, give us grace and help us through this. In the name of Jesus.
Lord, for those that are that raised their hands or didn't, but Lord, they, they, they're working on something right now. God, help them right now. Develop a plan. Help them know what tomorrow is going to hold and, and Tuesday is going to hold. They're going to develop a plan with you and they're going to pursue your, your, your healing, your fixing of the issues. Lord, just break us. We give you us. We give you our soul, our mind. We give you the issues of the past. We give you our future. For you to be in charge. In the name of Jesus. Start the process this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now here's my encouragement to you. The Lord will show you stuff because he loves you. Don't, it may not be easy, but it's doing because he loves you. So go there. Trust him. Trust him to carry you through the difficulties, the difficult situations. All right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to, to I'm changing this, going to give you a chance to, to really work on what we talked about this morning. Let the Holy Spirit go there and work on it. And then he also give you a chance to tell somebody about Jesus. So, do that. Do the best you can. Take that opportunity. If you're going to be at my house tonight, please let me know. Many of you sent me emails already, so I know. But let me know if you're, if you're spur of the moment, which is fine. And if not, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.